Good morning, good evening, and good afternoon, wherever you're listening to this, whatever time zone it may be. Thank you for tuning into the Black and Blue Pod, the Philly sports-based podcast where we will talk shit, maybe Bruce Amigos. I am your host, Matt McLaughlin, alongside Timmy Gorman. Emergency podcast as the NBA free agency day one is wrapping up, and uh, things are getting heated. Things are hot. Uh, KD wants out of Brooklyn. The Sixers are making some moves, some that we kind of like, some that we have some questions about. We just got some question marks. And also some other deals around the league, which we'll get into. A bunch of Supermaxes, which kind of reminds me how much fucking money is in the NBA. Nuts. Uh, So it's crazy. So let's just jump right into the uh, Brooklyn situation. Kevin Durant officially requests a trade from the Nets just a few hours before free agency like officially starts, even though all these contracts are figured out before that official like deadline of like 6 p.m. Tam- tampering, right? Yeah, the legal tampering <laughs> period, which is basically just like, here, we'll give you this money. Okay, cool. And then we'll announce it at 6.01. Everyone tampered for so many years, so NBA was like, well, we'll, we'll try and outsmart them by calling it the legal tampering period. yeah this is the like, legal tampering period this so shit was figured out in march like let's go yeah that's <laughs> ridiculous uh so kd wants out Kyrie, which brian winhorst of espn said that likely means that Kyrie is officially on the trading block even though he opted in to a 37 million dollar uh contract year uh with the nets so the nets are going to have to figure out some type of salary situation which Right now, it's looking like the Lakers are the only team that are going to be willing to take on that $37 million for Kyrie. And this was kind of reported this morning from uh, – I saw from Legion Hoops on Twitter was that the Lakers package at the moment, as we're taping this on July 1, is uh, Russell Westbrook, Taylor Horton Tucker, and a 2027 first-round pick. And the Nets may include Joe Harris along with Kyrie in that deal. And Wait, so, they have picks left still? Yeah, they're, it, they only have two. It's 2027 and I think 2029 because they, they gave up most of their picks in the AD trade, and then they had to figure out that whole Russ situation, bringing him from Washington. So, right. so they basically mortgaged off their entire decade of the 2020s in getting young players, at least through the draft. They could get Jerry some. Russ is rolling over in his grave, dude. I... If I'm Jeannie Buss, I'm like, I'm pulling my hair out, like trying to deal with this well, fucking team. She made the mess. I mean, she, she, you know, by giving Rob Plinka the power. Is it, is it she made the mess though? Because like, I feel like the Lakers she were. Inherited, in, she inherited some of it from her dumb dick brother. But yeah, yeah. They haven't, she, it's not like she's made a bunch of great moves and like giving a, uh, like, and we'll we'll probably get to it with the Knicks, but it's like this is these are two supposedly supposedly power franchises in the NBA, right? And yeah. I guess we can start here, where it's like they both gave their their front offices to former power agents. Okay. Not to Following. use the word power too much, but you know what I'm saying. And, yeah, yeah. and where has it got either of them? Like, okay, yeah, the Lakers won the title. But it took a it took a pandemic, a bubble, and like just crazy situations. And yes, LeBron and AD played out of their mind. But neither of them. Well, I shouldn't say that because LeBron is an alien, and he has. But AD has never come close to that twenty twenty again. Yeah. And then they were stupid and didn't didn't resign Caruso, which you know on the face of it was like, oh okay, like. And I was never a big fan, but when it, once he got to Chicago. I root, you know, I probably with a lot of NBA fans realize, oh, he actually is good. Is and it isn't just the fact that he was on the Lakers and getting like the buzz. Right? How do you not love the bald eagle? <laughs> but it's like, and I liked him in college too. But then I'm like, all yeah. right, he's getting overblown, and because he's a Laker, yada yada yada. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, then they, they let him go, but then they keep people like Talon Horton Tucker, who is like, I just feel like. His name is always meant more than he was always worth, you know, and Kuzma is, you know, it was what it was, but like, I feel like they always gave up too much in the AD package. They, they could have kept maybe somebody like Josh Hart. Like it just, I feel like they've overpaid on everything. And then it's never LeBron's fault. 
and now obviously this is covered and I don't want to make it a whole LeBron thing, but it's like, it's never LeBron's fault, but all this is because of LeBron. And if you're the owner or the GM, at some point you're supposed to put your foot down and not let LeBron run shit. But no GM or owner has ever stepped up to him. And the only one that the only two that ever have are Pat Riley and Dan Gilbert. And look at their teams now. They're both positioned for futures. Like the, Agreed. as long as Pat Riley's there, the heat will always be good. But look at Dan Gilbert. He's running like, well, I'm the owner. Fuck you, LeBron. And look at how good the Cavs are positioned for the future now, as opposed to the Lakers. Agreed. Um I, there will be, and I think this is what I kind of wanted to talk about with the KD and Brooklyn situation is I think this kind of marks the beginning of the pendulum swinging from the athlete empowerment era of the 2010s back to kind of a center point where it's the front office will collaborate with its best players, but they're going to start saying like, hey, no, we're not just going to bring on whoever you want on this team. The, the Cavs, after the 2016 title, they were left in an absolute shipwreck with that whole Tristan Thompson getting paid $72 million because LeBron was threatening to leave. And it's, it's all these clutch guys with Rich Paul. Ben Simmons is now the face of the Brooklyn Nets because of this, <laughs> and, which everyone forgets. That as, ben a, Simmons as a Sixers is, fan, that just makes us all like inside, like so happy. Like I saw like a fake report where he's like, Ben Simmons is requesting to trade back to Australia now. Like, <laughs> like, and it's just like, you know what? I wouldn't put it past him. He's a baby. Like, get the fuck out of here. But sorry, yeah, I, and, I digress. Well, and even with the whole Kyrie situation, how that has just rapidly dissolved into just chaos. And Kyrie is single-handedly turned into probably the most unwanted superstar in NBA history. And this is a league that's seen guys like, you know, even, even Kobe – had a reputation of being, you know, like a dick of a teammate sometimes because he would just push his guy so hard and no one, there was a period where people didn't want to play with him and deal with that. That being said, this is where I see kind of organization, like the Lakers, the Lakers will last put, put a whenever, pin LeBron, whenever LeBron and retires, the Lakers will still be around. The Lakers will still be around the Celtics. Right. Whenever Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown retire, they will still, the Celtics will still be around. And I think these organizations are kind of sick and tired of, shelling out these massive contracts of $200 million, 250 in some cases. And then these guys are forcing their way out a year into it, two years into it. Hell, even six months into it, depending on the situation. Right. They, they put these, they get these clauses in there with these agents. And it's just like, real quick though, put a put in that Kobe thing. Cause if we have time, I want to real quick at the end of it, talk about the Kobe Curry thing that people have been debating about, but you okay. mentioned it, you, you brought it up perfectly about, how he was a tar- he wasn't a great teammate, but sorry, but yeah, no, I, I agree. It's like, you know, because I think the fans in general are just sick of like the player empowerment. And excuse me, I get it because for years, and it's not just in the NBA; it was in all major sports. Like, you know, they talk about how, uh, like, was it the catfish hunter in the MLB was the first big free agent, and that took until like the nineteen seventies, like. Yeah. And it's just like to think that like basically they owned your like they owned you like did, and you whether couldn't you go reti- anywhere. Right. Yeah. Whether you retired, they the MLB team still had your rights. And whether you like in the 40s when guys like DiMaggio and Ted Williams were serving in World War II, they still had their rights they, and they yeah, were still the same contracts. Anywhere. But then there's like there's like ways like hockey does it where I've always liked the way that hockey does it, where it's like you can draft a kid in high school and he can go to college. And they still own like own the rights, but it's like not like in a bad way where it's just like it's not like, oh, he's get, going to college to get out of it. It's just more like, hey, we think you should go to college and play for a couple of years and, you know, do it that way. And then like baseball has their own funny way where it's like you can come from high school. But then if you go to college, you have to, you have to wait until like you're draft eligible. And then if you, you have until like August something, you know, it's. So yeah, every every mess. league is different. It's a mess. But I think, you know, the NBA was the, the, the one league that kind of changed everything with the player empowerment. Mover, like you said, like they they are the ones that because, you know, the NFL is the NFL and that's never going to change, un- unfortunately, for better or for worse. But, yeah, I agree. Like it's it, I think 
people at first were like, good, the players are getting theirs. But now it's like, all right, well, I'm sick of watching my team give it all up for maybe the fact that they could win one championship. Yeah. And then suck for 10 years. And this is a, like a, a great debate. Like I, I'm like in a group chat with a get like in a fantasy football league. I'm in with like a bunch of kids. I don't know. I know like three of the kids and they're all like older kids that like went to like, like, like from like I knew from high school and I'm like good buddies with one of the other, one of the kids, but I don't know most of his friends. And I'm like debating with them about how like, I don't want to give up like Maxi and a bunch of shit for KD because as much as KD's like, one of the best players ever. He's also in year 16. You can't trust his health. And I'm not saying Maxie's going to be an all NBA player for the next 10 years. I don't know if he is, but I'd rather take the chance of having the younger guy who can still grow than the older guy that maybe has two to three good years left. And then what, if we're lucky, we get one championship out of that. Like, it's not like the East is the walkover anymore either. So. No. And I think that's where, it's been we've had this conversation either on the podcast or off the podcast of how much what's the balance on the scale of mortgaging your future versus going all in and that was the whole debate with the Harden trade was is he going to be a guy that's bought into this city and bought into bringing a championship and so far it seems like he has he's said all the right things and I know people are going to hang out like hang those playoff losses over his head for the rest of his career but at least it seems like he's authentically trying to at least establish a connection with the city and its fans. Whereas some of these other players, Kyrie for Kyrie prime example, where it seems like they are so, they seem so above, uh, above the fans and like seem like they should, the fans should be grateful that they're there in the first place that all of a sudden it's like, you should be thankful I was here for one season. You should be thankful I was here for two right. years and I gave you 29, nine and eight, whatever. And I think fans, we are, I am certainly kind of sick of this, uh, this transactional tone of like, oh, I'll come to your city for X amount of years. I'll force my way out if I don't like it here. And it kind of ruins the, I guess, authenticity of the relationship between like a fan and, and its team Tyrese Maxey for example you can see when Tyrese is like hitting the deck and he's like getting and ones and stuff like that the building is completely different the building is completely different and as a fan sitting on your television you can watch him and say this is a guy that loves to be here wants to be here and he the last thing he's thinking about is forcing his way out and that athlete empowerment era has kind of changed in my opinion the fan to athlete experience of really connecting and really relating to a basketball player specifically. It's like, it's like how many Steph Curry's do you get anymore? You know what I mean? It's like how many one franchise guys. And it's like in Philly, like, yeah, I think that's what irks me a little bit too about the MB thing is that like Embiid's never brought up as like, Oh, he might be one of the guys of like, like, Oh, Curry's going to be a one franchise guy and clay and, it looks like John Morant's going to be. It's like, but they never mention Embiid in that conversation. I'm like, he loves the city and the city loves him. The only reason he would leave is that he doesn't get a ring in the next five years and he wants to go ring chasing. But it's yeah. like this, like this city, I think at this point might love him more than they love AI. And like, it's like, it might be, it's like getting up there and it's, if he gets us a ring. He's gonna he a whole leap AI. Oh, he'll sur- he'll surpass he'll surpass Iverson. I think he'll personally surpass Dr. J, in my opinion, because Dr. J wasn't necessarily a homegrown talent. He was still in right. the ABA before he came over. And um and just with it's like if Chuck at, had got a ring with the Sixers. Yeah, exactly. exactly. If, if Chuck had got a ring and never left, that's what Embiid would be like. And we still love Chuck, like. Like, yeah, Philly it's not, fans still it's not like, like we, we hate it's not his fault. Like, you know, like I don't, bl- we don't blame him. And like, oh, like you, uh, clearly you weren't alive. And when I was, I was not cognizant of what was going on when that, when the trade happened, but it's like, yeah, why would he not went out? They were absolute shit show from like 90 to 97. And like, so that kind of, that kind of brings up with KD specifically, this kind of brings up the legacy question of it 
which of course, like all the ESPN people are like, I hate to bring this up, but the legacy has to be asked. It's like, just ask it. Um, anyway, that's my pet peeve. I don't, it's weird because this seems more divided than his uh, move to either Golden State or even the move to Brooklyn from Golden State. I've heard perspectives of he's tired of dealing with Kyrie and I don't blame him for trying to deal with this headache. But I've also heard the other but side. But he created that headache himself because he wanted to go play with them because they were boys. So that's the other side that I've heard. And I've also heard you sign a contract for four years, $198 million. And you don't you don't even stay past a quarter of it. You don't fulfill a quarter of that contract. Yeah, because he didn't play the first year. Exactly. So that's where. Well, the contract extension came in at 2021. So this would have been, I think, the first year of that 198 million dollar contract. Oh, right, because he signed like a two year deal or something like that, and then exactly. he signed the con- he signed the extension after they made it to the semis last year. So let's let's do the uh, classic clickbait. How does this affect Katie's legacy? <laughs> I mean, he's he was always gonna have a like uh, it's always he's a top ten scorer like, all time, arguably top right. five. And uh, for like, see, like for me, like I definitely don't look at it as like I definitely might be. I think I'm in the minority because one of the things about KD and it's not about like him bolting the Golden State, which yes, was like. You know, it, like whatever people want to say, oh, well, you had to get away from Westbrook, blah, blah, blah. The one thing that has always annoyed me about KD, there's two things. One is that I think he's a, like, he's a, he's a curmudgeon and he gets way too, like, angry and, like, like holds grudges on people when they're just doing their job. And yeah, I get it. Some journalists go over the edge, but it's like Bill Simmons, like, did like, like seven interviews with him or whatever, five, six, seven, whatever. And then, like, he said one thing about him, and, like, Katie won't even talk to me anymore. And it wasn't even, like, a bad thing. And it's like, dude, like, get off your – get off the rag. Like, like not to be, a, like, a sexist when I say that, but, like, come on. Like, don't be a bitch. But, like, secondly, it's like I've never I, – I, I, I never understood why Ross is the guy who gets all the shit for the 2016 collapse – when KD was just as horrible, if not worse than him, the whole team sucked. That whole team shit the bed. You know, it was it was coaching, it was the players. Yes, Russ was bad, but in my opinion, KD disappeared more than Ross in 2016. And but because he bolted and then just had his people create this narrative about how it was Russ that it was because of Russ, and then everyone's like, "Well, yeah, Russ sucked so much in those last three games." It's like. No, they all sucked, and KD was probably one of, like, the two worst people, but no one ever brings that up, and I just don't understand that. Like, go back and watch those games, and you'll understand. Like, people will understand. Like, he sucked. He was terrible, and he hid. He hid from big moments, too. Well, and there was, I think, the later years after that uh, playoff loss where Russ is averaging a triple-double. Right. And it solidifies this perception that he had, he has the ball the entire time he was in OKC. So he must be the reason why that team collapsed. And I agree. It's completely unfair to blame an entire collapse on one player, unless it's like a, a really bad game winning shot or something like Listen, that. Like game like, six, you can't, you can throw that out because Clay just went supernova. Right? Game six, Clay. And they, they, yeah. they were one, they were one, they could have won that game. They could have. And, it was, I believe, KD who missed missed a couple shots at the end, and then Russ missed the game winner. So it's just blamed on him. But I just, I just never understood why he was constantly, you know. And then he goes to Golden State, and then he's moody that people were like, "Well, this is still Curry's team." Like, what did you think, my man? <laughs> like, you're not just gonna walk into the situation with a team that has made it to back to back finals, won one of them, and you know, blew the other one. And you're just going to become the leading man. There's clearly a reason they are back-to-back finalists. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I just, and he just was moody about that. And then he went to the Nets and he got even more like diva-esque. And I just, you know, that's when I used to, I was never a big, I wasn't a big fan of him in college because he went to Texas and fuck Texas. Like, you know, (laughs) horns down all day, can't stand them. And I just, you know, I, I couldn't stand the hype. But then the second he got drafted by the Sonics, who used to be my second favorite organization after the Sixers, 
until, you know, they were robbed of their team, which again, just, we talked about it, how there's not a team in Seattle. That'll get its own documentary one day. Yeah. Um, But, you know, and then I was like, okay, cool. I can like them now. Went to OKC. That team was fun. Loved them. And then, you know, he went to Golden State and it's like, I respect the player, but I just, I think he bitched out and he screwed Russ over and I get it. Russ is temperamental and he's not probably not the easiest human to get along with. I think everybody understands that. Yeah. Um, but it's just, as his career has gone along, he's just become more and more of a diva and temperamental. And it's just, you know, he's it's just so unlikable. He's unlikable. It, I feel like. Yeah. It's, it's frustrating. And I think that's where kind of going back to our like athlete empowerment uh, conversation that we had a few minutes ago. I think that's been the benefit of the athlete empowerment era is that you get to hear from KD directly, whether it's his podcast or whether it's his show, the boardroom or whatever, you get to hear his own personal perspective on these type of things. And even, I don't know if you watch the, uh, the Draymond green, JJ Redick, uh, old man in the three live show just came out like a few, like last week, but Draymond is that the talked, one where there was like all this shit is being like everyone's like up in arms about or that was something uh, else? Probably. I mean, it's Draymond, so anything. Oh, no, that possible. was JJ and Steven Smith and then Draymond and uh, Kendrick Perkins. My, yeah. my apology. Yeah. No, you're good. Um, but in, at, in that podcast, Draymond talked about how like KD like kind of underestimated the public like pushback and the Warriors did everything they could to like make him feel at home and make him feel like, Hey, you're one of us. Like, it's okay. Like you don't have to deal with all this other, you know, public stuff. Like we don't care about that. And it just nodded him pretty much. And I'm paraphrasing a lot. That being said, I don't blame. I never, at first I was mad about Katie going to golden state and I was never really like, Oh, totally like pissed off about it. And as time went on, I understood why he had to do it. He had to get his championships similar to what LeBron did going to Miami. And the move to Brooklyn was reasonable in the fact that you were going to a place that had never really won before. And if you win there in New York, in Brooklyn, you're a legend for life. And you have that one championship to say, I prove that I can win on my own. Now, I have questions going into year 16. Can KD win on his own? as the number one guy and it just seems like every time that's a challenge he doesn't step up to it whether it's him directly or indirectly not performing well or other teammates aren't performing well but now i have to he's a top 10 scorer all time but when it comes to winning and closing out it just seems like it seems like he is will chamberlain to lebron's bill russell Right. He can, no. He, and that's my he, point about 2016. Like that's, yeah. that's exactly where I get at. Yeah. It's like KD will put up unreal numbers and he'll be great. And he has two championships already, but he needs help. And most teams need help. But when it comes to winning in the big moments, I just haven't seen that from KD in 16 years. And these moves to big name teams like the Nets and the Warriors who were 73 wins and had the greatest shooter of all time. That I have to hold that against you at some point. Like I have mm-hmm. to. So that's where that's where I stand. But let's let's move on from the Nets. We've been talking about the Nets for for a long time, and there <laughs> we got to get to our Sixers. Daryl Morey reassembling the 2018 Rockets. Uh, Joel Embiid at center, so that'll work out great. PJ Tucker signs three years, thirty three point two million dollar contract, fully guaranteed. Daniel House. Gets two years, $8.4 million. This is on top of on draft night. The Sixers traded for DeAnthony Melton from the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, and Woj has been reporting that the Sixers are will be meeting with James Harden over the weekend to negotiate the, his new contract and finalize those uh, terms. And so paying P.J. Tucker $10 million a year into his age 40, that kind of doesn't sit well with me. It doesn't sit well. It's so dumb. Like, there's a reason all these teams move on from him after a year. Like, he he, he he can come in. It's like Tibbs as a coach. You get that first year, it's great. And then it's like, 
all right, the team must be sick of his shit. Because I'm assuming he's probably not an easy sell in the locker room. If he's that much of a bully on the court, he's probably kind of a bull in the china shop I think in the, the locker I, room. I think it's the opposite. I think he's one of those guys you hate to play against, but the, you love to have on your team. No, I, I right. But then you get sick of, like, having him on the team at the same – like. You can deal oh, with it to a, he wears, to a degree. He's that he's that he, one buddy that gets drunk and he's like, dude, I'm so yeah. drunk. And after like three or four weekends in a row, you're like, dude, can you just right. like roll he's it back that kid a little that bit? You're like, why haven't I hung out with him in a while? And then you hang out with him for a couple weekends. You're like, oh, this is oh, why. right. Fuck, I forgot. This is why I stopped. I this is why we didn't talk for six months. So <laughs> I I just I don't know. And it's nothing against PJ Tucker, but it's just like Dude, he's 37. Why are we paying him $10 million a year? We're already paying Tobias Howard too much money. Why are we doing this? And nothing against Daniel House or Daniel House or whatever you say his name, but it's, you know, I think that's an okay contract that, you know, for a year, but it's, what is he going to be? Is he, is he, are we expecting like him to be a contributor or is he going to be the the bench or what? Yeah, I think it's a fill-out-the-bench move with another wing that can kind of be a 3-and-D guy if you need him to. Well, like I you think- said, the 2018 Rockets, and that's what it looks like they're doing. And, and it's just – it. I feel like this is proven over and over again. This doesn't work to just have uh, have like like a bunch of shooters, maybe a center, and a dominating point guard. You know, the Mavs got, like, the farthest anyone's got is the conference finals. The Rockets did it twice, the Ma- or three times, twice or three times. And then uh, the Mavs did it last year with Luka and yeah. with basically the same formula, except our center is the better of the players. And it's, but it's like this Harden realized that, and there's more realized that. And it's, I'm all for the wing play because we needed more shooting, needed more athleticism, but it's, in my opinion, it was more important for us to have a, a, a better scorer, someone who can create on his own. And I don't think any of these guys do that. You know, as much as I I like DeAnthony Melton, I just don't think he's one of those guys. Oh, no. De- you're, not, you're not bringing in DeAnthony Melton to create his own shot and instigate some offense. You're asking him to just hit tough threes, hit wide open threes when he gets the open looks whenever Harden or Maxi are on the floor. And I think, I don't think, I know the Tobias question has to be answered soon. I, that ha, that question has to be answered soon. Right. Whether because what's six, your starting lineup at this point? Then it's Maxi. So it's Maxi, uh, Maxi Harden, Matisse, Tobias. No, it's, it's Tucker. You can't be paying Tucker ten million. Yeah, and yeah. have him coming off the bench. So it's so Tucker Tobi- and and then Tobias and then Embiid and it's get killed on those on those the, those guys are gonna get yeah i mean it's 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 really hard sell it's a really hard really- sell some sometimes um and i i just think pj tucker you're bringing him in to be that fuck you guy like the way udonis haslam is for the heat you're bringing in PJ Tucker to just say, just get in dudes' grills and be the guy that just is the rash guy. Like you just you hate him so much that he throws you he throws you off your game. And right. that that's what the Sixers need right now is just some toughness. Like we saw in that Miami series, that team just folded up as Stephen A. like likes to say, like a cheap tent. Like it just they need that that guy that can establish some confidence and bring that mental toughness from a veteran perspective that you just can't get necessarily with some of the other options on the free agency market. So I'm rationalizing, I'm I'm rationalizing myself into liking the sign. But do we need three years of that is what I'm saying. It's not that it's, it's more, I guess. Yes. It's desperation. We could use three years of that, but it's at the money he's getting. And by year three, if he plays more than half the games, I'd be surprised. It's a desperation move to to say if if they win a championship, this gamble pays off. It's right. to, it's to say, okay, PJ Tucker was the guy that set the tone when the Sixers went on in the 2022 season and went on a huge run, and they won a title. PJ Tucker was one of the guys that made a difference, and we're fine with paying that money when whenever, however long we have to. 
and that, but that the, that goes back to the maxi, the trading that big thing for max, the trading maxi for the big. It's like, is the end game just hey, we just want one championship, or is the end game to be contenders for half a decade and win at least have the chance to win at least multiple ones? And I would rather yeah, have the, that's a fair. Obviously, I won a championship, but I would rather have the second. And I, I'm not saying that just this this Tucker thing alone is the it would could be a reason that it doesn't happen but it's more clearly this means Harden's coming back which we all knew but at what cost and I'm yeah. sorry they give him I think even three years is a mistake but if they give him more than three like we are screwed if like the Sixers if, are screwed they're not they're not they're done like well I'm this sorry, is all I don't, I don't see it happening this is all the Sixers are now in screw it mode. We have to go now. Like we have to throw this in the full throttle because the Ben Simmons trade changed everything. Mm-hmm. Once Ben Simmons leaves, you you can't bank on a future window anymore. And I give the Sixers credit for trying to craft some of these moves. Guy would have loved to have on this team, Seth Curry, who they had to give up in that trade, unfortunately. But at some point, I I'd rather at least go all in, see what you can do in one year. And rather than try and like this, I know I sound contradictory compared to the beginning of the podcast, but with Joel and beat specifically with big men, I think it's a different story because you don't know what the next injury could be, how it could change his career. And if he's going to be the same guy, I hope that doesn't happen, obviously, but you never know with big guys. And I think that's a different type of equation. And so with the Sixers, Screw it. You got to go all in. Get PJ Tucker to bring in that that toughness. If that was if that third year was the extra year that pushed them over the top and it just turned into a bidding war, then okay, you got to let this see that where the chips fall. You still got Maxi. Depending on what they get for the Tobias and Matisse package and probably picks on top of that. Obviously, Tobias isn't the most attractive. Trade yeah, asset. Who, who's taking that at this point? The Thunder, maybe. Thunder could see the Magic. Um, Houston, obviously, some of, you're looking at some of the lower ranked teams. You're looking obviously. at the teams that were in the top ten lottery picks outside of New Orleans, and yeah, it's just who who's got enough Detroit, maybe who's got enough salary cap that they're going to eat it, and you know they'll find room to try and make five work. And, you know, it sucks that we have to sacrifice, but I think everyone in this fan base is kind of like what happened into the playoffs this year was like, all right, well, take, take you, you and your voodoo magic and leave. Like well, it he was really the, soured the fan base this year with what, what he did, I think. Because no one was really paying attention to Matisse until that whole COVID news story right. broke where he couldn't, go travel for playoff games and stuff and like right, that's that. His, and, and also, that's his choice. I'm not condemning him saying, oh, yeah. because you didn't. That's his choice. He has that freedom. Uh, it just, I think. I just think no one, no of, one, no one cared until that happened. And then everyone, the me, especially, I was looking at the team more closely and seeing the difference between him on the floor versus off the floor. And okay. Is this where now that he doesn't have a chance to travel for the playoffs, is this where he really turns up his offensive game and gets more confident with the shots? And that just didn't work. That just didn't And Maxi surpassed him. Maxi took yeah. over the role as a young guy. And then, you know, Jaden Springer lit up the G League. So we have him, and it's just, you know, people got to be thinking, well, what, what he, he's got to contribute, you would think, at some point. You know, they, 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 they can't just keep wasting draft picks is, is another thing. Like, I get D'Anthony Melton is younger than I, I re- remembered him being. So I like that now. But it's – you can't just every year go into the draft and have a pick and then be like, we're just going to trade it for somebody else or we're going to yeah. take someone and stash them in the G League. Like, you that's how you end up being the Magic. That's yeah. how you turn what was a profitable contending roster into a shit show for 15 years. Yeah. Look at the, no. look at the Sacramento Kings. They were – one of the legit West contenders from about 99, 2000 until about 2003, four. And then they petered out and, you know, they sucked. 
and they've never been back. The Suns with the Nash era Suns, because Sarver's a cheap shit, like, and doesn't want to pay salary. Always kept trading the draft picks, never kept p- trying to revitalize the roster, the whole nine yards. And it took 10 years for the Suns to get good again. You know, yeah, and I don't want the Sixers in that fucking space. I don't, <laughs> I don't want to watch another reclamation project when this all goes down. So you like, I, I so that's why I think it's, it's funny because you're going to, you, people can argue like, Oh, well you have these draft picks and what are they really worth? People just constantly want to acquire them. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, but you also have to use them. Like it's oh, yeah, Sam Presti, use them to, to like build your roster up in OKC. But that's and where, they, that's where like they, that's where they, perspective of just constantly going, all right, let's get rid of them. Let's get rid of them. Let's get rid of them. No, you, cause you can hit on second rounders. You can hit on late first rounders. And I'm not saying you're always going to get an all NBA guy, but you never know how much that can help you build somebody on, like build your second team or build a guy off the bench. that can help deep in the playoffs. So I think, but that's where I'm going to give this administration, this front office credit is that they've hit on some draft picks. Like Matisse up until this season was a hit. Right. Jaden Springer looking like a hit so far in the G league. Obviously he needs more playing time. And B-Ball Paul was getting key minutes, and he was a guy that no team was really taking a chance on and really thought that he would kind of fit into the modern NBA. And he seems like a great backup power forward slash small ball center if you really want to rotate him in there. So this organization, and even the biggest one, Tyrese Maxey, obviously, when everyone was passing up on Maxey, they found him in the 20s, and that's looking like a massive mistake right now. So for other teams that didn't take him, right. It's like a it's yeah. a big hit for us. But on top of that, you have the Zaire Smiths and Erlens Noel, the Michael Carter Williams, the Jalil Okay. Fours, all yeah, you're go you're going all, just, yeah. yeah. Okay. I was looking at just the uh like the Daryl Morey slash Elton Brand era. I'm just saying over the last 10, yeah, it's both of them kind because uh Presty or you know or not Presty, um Maury. What's his what's his Darryl name? Maury? Is Maury's boy. Hinky. Oh, yeah, Sam Hankey. Yeah. So it's like at the same mind front, and it's just he at least wanted to use the picks. I don't know if it's the same mindset because Daryl Morey knows the how close he can get his teams to be being in Houston with how close they were. Like, if anyone knows what it's like to come up short and be so close to a t- chance at a title, it's Daryl Morey. Whereas, whereas Hankey was just like, all right, we got one good player that we can get one draft pick for just j- gone, just gone. Like Daryl Hanky was just purging the entire team and then trying to get these low veteran minimums with the Jared Bayless's of the world, the Isaiah cannons, the Lavoy out. Like there were just some <laughs> players. Yeah. There are just there's some just, players. There's a, there's a lot, there's a lot of them out there, you know, and it's, and there's other ones that like we had Jeremy Grant at some point. Shipped them off, you know. There, there's players out there that we had that went on to become, yeah, Christian Wood. Now he's a headache in a locker room, but he became a, a solid role player, you know. And it's just, it's just more so. I get like the, the Anthony Mountain thing. You didn't like anything there, but at the same time, you can't just keep doing that every draft. Like we need, like Jaden Springer needs to become something, or. I will start like in, in my head. I'm really going to start to question whether Maury knows how to evaluate talent in the draft, or no, if it, that's or, that's fair. Or if he's or if he's just Dave Dombrowski in the NBA and only knows how to trade for proven talent and that, that has already made it. That's fair. That's completely fair. But uh, we'll just do some quick uh, quick reactions to around the rest of the league. Jalen Brunson to the Knicks, four years, uh, one hundred four million according to Spotrack.com. Does this really change the Knicks? I don't really think it does. As no, much as I love Jalen. I mean, it was the dirty secret. We all knew it was coming, you know. It, but it, it's, uh, I, you know, he's not a number one. He's a low end number two. I like him too. You know, I love them at Villanova, but you know, I don't. What does this do for their team? You know, I, I don't. You know, and I could honestly see him underperforming under Tibbs, and it's not because he doesn't hustle, but you know, his dad's there too, and his dad will get on him. But it's just, I don't, I, I, you know, and, you know, it's like you've been clearing Cassius, you can do in this, like, next, but, like, really, Leon Rose, this is all you can get? Like, Jalen Runs this is, Jalen this is, the is move. a good player, but he's not, a, he's not a number one. Yeah, this is the move for Leon Rose to be like, hey, we're doing something, at least. Right. 
Um, I mean, and they shouldn't have wasted all the money they wasted last year in free agency. And there's teams again this year. It's every year. It's no, they don't learn. People don't learn. And it's like, you know, like he segue, like why the fuck are the Blazers giving Anthony Simons a hundred million dollars? Because, because I don't he had, think because he had a good 23 game stretch at the end of the year when the team sucked. Because they need they need some type of insurance plan for Dane because he's still coming off that abdomen injury and they're just not sure about his future. But why give him a hundred million? Like make him earn it for a full year is what I'm saying. He had like he had not even he had a good quarter of the season after they got rid of CJ, and he and it wasn't even like he averaged like thirty and ten and five. It was like seventeen four and three. Yeah, so but I'm I think not that's... saying he's not a good player, but it just it's yeah. Just, I don't see him as an all NBA guy to be making the money he's making. And that's what I'm saying with these teams every year, they just hand up these dumb dick contracts. And then a year later, they're like, Oh, how can we get rid of it? Because now this year there's somebody else we want. Well, now I think it's completely different because as the salary cap climbs more and more, now you're seeing the market dictate like a solid backup point guard is 17, $20 million, $25 million. If your backup point guard is really that good. Per year, Duncan Robinson's getting what 15, 18 million dollars per year, and he barely got played in the playoffs because of his defensive liabilities. That's just the way teams view these contracts now because they have so much more money to spend. And that's just happened over the last 40 years because of David Stern. And yeah, and it's all crazy these, because all this revenue like they people will say, like having payroll or, or having cast space is such a premium. But then it's like the second they get it, it's like a kid in a candy store with money to burn. Oh, it's like totally, just totally hold on to it, you know. Well, and speaking of it, speaking of contracts and teams getting wrapped up in heavy contracts, the Denver Nuggets locked down Jokic for five years, two seventy, and then this is on top of a hundred plus million locked up in Jamal Murray. This is on top of another hundred plus million locked up in Michael Porter Jr. And Murray Porter Jr. didn't play at all last season due to injuries. Mm-hmm. And rehabbing and when i'm looking at denver obviously they had to do this you lock up nikola Jokic as long as you can but this affects how you build the rest of the team and it's going to be sketchy for denver moving forward because they got to shell out massive amounts of money to Jokic, who's been healthy but also murray who's coming off a torn acl and porter jr who's dealing with a back injury still and this is a guy with lengthy is- injury which at this point is worse than the torn acl in in today's medical world and it's so chronic it it, it's just chronic it's always there you never really killed it it killed his ncaa career like yeah it's it's and it's they they should have never handed out the contract when they did but they did and you know it's i think you said it's just what sometimes franchises just get way too ahead of themselves exactly um, and I get it. I, I get that the, the organization wants to say, we want to lock this guy down now before like doubt creeps into his mind. And he starts hearing about other teams right. like, trying to poach him away. I get that, but you know, it's a tough call. It's a tough call to make a um, whole bunch of super maxes. Carl Anthony towns gets a super max Zion Williamson gets a five year, two thirty one uh, million dollar contract. I both think they're bad ideas in my opinion. It took one good year from Cat to get that super max. And it's just like, I just think he's too fragile of a player. And with Zion, it's, you know, what weight is he at today? Yeah. No, that's a legitimate question. It's a, for the Pelicans, I think they definitely built in some protections. I think it was uh, David Griffin was on the Ryan Rosillo podcast a couple of weeks right. ago, maybe a few weeks ago, and said, no, we're going to put in some protections in case injury happens and we need some options or something. Which is smart. And, and they have a yeah. good roster too. So that's the thing. You know, they, and, have to, they have to think about that. And I think they were smart to, to, not, to not blow up that roster. Agreed. I think they were smart. They were like, hey, we got a good thing going. Let's not try and force the envelope, but let's not also overpay certain people just because we had we took the Suns to seven six games in the first round as an eight seed, you know, and they're they're good, you know. Ingram was good, 
I think they'd be way better off if they had Lonzo, but that, you know, they, you know, they got rid of, they let him walk and that was dumb, but Ingram looked really good. As much as Jose Alvarado annoys the fuck out of me, he was, he was a good player in the playoffs last year. Herb Jones was a breakout story. Um, the Pelicans have a good mix of like young and veteran talent. Uh, I don't know. That's a very good question. Oh, not, CJ is on the team. Yeah, CJ. Oh, I thought you already said CJ. Um, but yeah, for the Pelicans, like this is the first really face of the franchise that seems like he wants to be there. And right, he's not it. constantly looking for an exit to really get it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, like again, this is one of those situations where a small market team kind of gets pinned into a situation where they have to do whatever it takes to lock a guy up. Uh, with the cat supermax. Yeah, I'm really hesitant to give Cat a Supermax. Like, he struggled in that Memphis series, and he was very up and down. Mm-hmm. And to turn around when you have Anthony Edwards, who I think is a bona fide star. In he should league, be the face of the franchise. 100%. Exactly. I, I think this is kind of an alarm that they're going to look to at least move D'Angelo Russell or at least try, even if not this year, then maybe next year. And because I, I don't see because you're definitely gonna have to give Edwards a supermax on top of a cat supermax. And who else are they really gonna fill out that roster with? Like it's if, it's skinny. If they were smart, uh, here's a trade that I don't understand why they like people like they don't think of them this way. Why wouldn't they be like, hey, do you guys want cat and Russell for Jalen Suggs or even just like cat? or even just Russell for Jalen Suggs and somebody else in the magic and bring Jalen Suggs home. Yeah. I don't hate, like, I don't, you know what I mean? Because it's yeah. like the magic scene don't seem to want to choose between him and Cole Anthony and, and um, fucking what's his name? Uh, Fultz. F- F- Markel like, Fultz. Yeah. They don't want to be able to choose, even though it, it, it's pretty obvious that they'd probably be better off with, Fultz and Suggs because you know as much as I love Cole because he's a UNC guy he's you know he's a he just jacks up shots left and right he, yeah. he's, he, classic he, irrational he, confidence guy yeah he he you know he's a Dion waiter he's in this mold of Dion waiters or um Monte like Ellis shit like yeah shit like that like he's like Monte Ellis essentially I feel like he's like the second coming of him so and so why my... not explore that so you don't have like so you can give Edwards a guard who isn't going to be just a, you know, thinking about himself like D'Angelo and then you can pair him with Edwards and they're two young guys. And then maybe you keep cat or if you have to give cat up for that. So the magic one of them, a big man, sure. Take him and then ship Russell somewhere else. But then you have a homegrown guy who's young with your already budding superstar Edwards. And I just don't understand why franchises don't think like that. I don't get it. Because I think they need, they're hesitant to go all in on a two guard front, on a two guard like face of the franchise. Granted, that's worked for teams like the Warriors. Yeah, but he's a forward. Edwards a forward. He's a small forward, isn't he? I he's listed. He's probably listed as a small forward. I kind of consider he he shoots so much and has the ball in his hands. I kind of consider him like a shooting guard. Yeah, but so does so does Tatum, and he's a small. True. You no, know. that's that's a that's a good counterpoint. But I think teams because that's what I think the small forward is the new shooting guard in the NBA. Oh, definitely, hundred percent. Like guys like LeBron and KD have changed all of that, where um, the three is kind of like your go-to scoring option. Right. And uh, with Jalen Suggs, like I think he's no. a really good he's a really good player. What were we saying? Yeah, he's six four, so I guess he would be more of a shooting guard. Yeah, and I think teams I think teams just want and the way. The way the yeah, sport but it's a point is, guard shooting guard mix, and it, there's nothing wrong with that. And I there's nothing it, wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with it at all. I just think in order to maximize a team, you still need a reliable scoring option down low. It doesn't have to right. be a cat who's putting up 25 points per game. But I think the I think the Timberwolves would rather have the balance of a pick and roll. It's a pick and roll league now, a pick and roll with Cat and Edwards, whereas you're kind of limited offensively with an Edwards and Suggs pairing. Well, that's what I'm saying. See, they'll take Russell. Like, they probably won't, but like, hey, we'll give you oh, two yeah. first-rounders and Russell. That, that's what I'm saying. Originally, I thought Cap, and I was like, you know what? They have Russell, so why would they need? But, like, you don't want – like, Russell's not getting you anywhere. And I was probably one of the last people that abandoned the Andrew Russell ship because I thought he got a fair 
or I thought he got a, um, a bad deal in LA, but like now it's like, you know what? Yeah. Maybe they were right. Like to get rid of them. And then that's let him go. And then what? So it's like, Orlando is not the smartest front office. They keep making dumb decisions. Why don't you see like, Hey, you want Russell for like the last year of his contract and we'll take Suggs and we'll give you like two first rounders and then just pair those three together. Yeah. Like, I would actually, I would do that. He would want to come home. Like, I just don't get why you want to think about why no one would even just, just throw it out there. Well, they say, no, they say no. Like what's the worst, like, you know, like, yeah, you know, no, what's the I, worst I, thing that happens? I agree. Also, uh, brand new, brand new breaking news. Do, 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 do. Uh, Zach Levine agrees to a five-year, $215 million max contract extension with the Bulls, Clutch Sports announces. So Zach Levine stays in Chicago along with DeMar DeRozan for at least another year. Um, and the Bulls also signed Andre Drummond to kind of fortify mm-hmm. that, that, uh, that front court. And I mean, I think the Bulls had to get this done as an organization that hasn't had hope in a very long time since Derrick Rose was there. Mm-hmm. In like a decade, yeah. Yeah. And so I think this was, again, it's one of those moves you have to do. And maybe now that he has a contract, you know, financial security, he can – it's like a mental thing, I would feel like, where you kind of relax now that that is off your shoulders – you can focus on really developing with DeRozan and the rest of the team to really take that time to be an organic face of the franchise and really embrace like a city and a, and a team, you know, like, I feel like right. if you're, I feel like if, if you're going into the last year of a contract and you don't have an extension lined up by the off season going into the season, that would be, that would weigh on my mind. I know for sure where I would be kind of not, I wouldn't fully dive into you know, meshing with my teammates and stuff like that. But that's just me. That's just, I'm not an NBA. Uh, but yeah, what do you think about the Zach Levine extension? I mean, it was coming and, you know, he had a good year, but uh, I mean, they were so good to start the season and then they, they petered off and I'm, you know, there were some injuries or things like that, but it's, um, you know, uh, I would, they were, they were a fun team. And like I said, injuries definitely played a part. So it'd be interesting to see where it goes. But like you said, they went out and they added um, uh, Drummond to have like support down low, which I think, you know, if you have all the scoring coming from the guards, you know, that's fine. You know, Drummond's just there telling to play defense and, you know, mop up rebounds and not worry about having to put up points. And if he can average, you know, 10 and 20 or like, which I think he could, like he's yeah. a rebounding guy. Like he could average like 10 to 15 a night and rebounds, then you're fine because you have all the, all the guards to do all the off the, the perform for you. Um, you know, you still have, uh, what's his name? The Florida state kid, uh, Patrick, uh, Patrick Williams. Yeah. Patrick Williams. And you know, uh, uh, you know, it's, they did it. They had to do it. They got the Rosen. Um, and you know, it's, it could bite them in the long run, but I don't hate it. I don't think it's a bad idea. I like it better than the, the Timberwolves giving Cat that money, you know, to say. Um, it, it's not the smart – it's not one of the better deals I like. Like, there's deals out there that I really am a fan of. Like, the Kings giving Malik money, Malik Monk money to come play with De'Aaron Fox. Like, that's the best he ever played with when they played in Kentucky. Let's see if it works. I like that deal. Um, there's a couple other ones. Like, JaVale McGee did the Mavs. He's a championship player. Yeah, he's kind of a jackass. But he is a center that you can pair with Luca, and all he has to do is just protect the rim. You know, yeah. there, there was a lot. There was for all the shitty deals that were out there, not shitty but questionable. There was a lot of decent ones. Like I said, I like the Danil House deal that we that the Sixers made. Um, I'm trying to think of a couple other ones that I saw, like that. Um, Even some of the bad ones, like you get. Bradley like the Beale. Lakers, the Lakers getting uh, Lonnie, giving Lonnie Walker some some money for uh, to see what he can pan out to. I I was actually hoping the Sixers could do that. The Memphis Grizzlies is bringing back Tyus Jones. Uh, on the counteract the cap thing, at least the Timberwolves went and they gave Slow Mo some money 
And I thought that was a smart deal. Slow-mo is a very underrated player. I think he's a good chemistry guy. I think he's good in the locker room. He's a veteran, and I, I think he helps out. Uh, the Bucks adding Joe Angles. I was about to say, that was, that, that was that's one of my favorite. smart deal. Yeah, that was one of my um, favorite uh, so, signs. So I think a lot of teams go crazy. Like, I don't know if I would have paid Bobby Portis $49 million. I said, like yeah. I said, I wouldn't have paid Anthony Simons $100 million. Um, I don't know if giving Chris Boucher three years for three thirty-five is, I think actually that might be one of the worst ones, but then it's like, I love Lou Dort, but five for 87. It's like, what are you like? I don't get what the thunders plan is because it's like picks, 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 young guys, young guys, young guys. I'm fine with randomly hand out this mag massive deal to a guy that is essentially a glorified three and D guy. And I like Lou Dort, but. He's well, basically again, the young PJ Tucker. But that's He's the where Canadian PJ Tucker. That's that's where I kind of again come in like 15 to 17 million dollars per year for a team that isn't go- with Lou Dort specifically, an OKC team that isn't contending anytime soon. I I would be fine with kind of giving them that money and just seeing what happens. Right, but Presti seems to be in love with picks. So wouldn't you think he would give him less money to see if he could sell them come February? No, because at some point, at some point, you want to put, especially with the Shea Gilgis Alexander component, right? He he may get moved. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets moved because I think he's gone. I think he's gone come February because he's going to play out of his mind and he's going to refuse to sit on the bench again. So there's. I think that OKC wants to make Shea look as good as they can. And I think Dort plays really well off of Shea. And I, w- I think they're kind of banking on Lou Dort capitalizing on playing with a guy like Chet that can r- get out in transition and is a wizard with the ball for a big man. And that may open up the floor for Dort to really explode and get to another level that we haven't seen before. But the biggest question is, what about Poku? <laughs> Poku! The, the thin towers coming at you. I thought that was the greatest. Rosillo on their like their live pod when he was just like when they when they drafted Chad. He goes, uh, "Breaking news: Poku's the man of the trade immediately." <laughs> he said there can only be one of them. <laughs> that was that was a good that was a good line by Rosillo. He had some good ones. He had some good ones the last. Oh, few there were there, there was a couple he threw out that was his. I don't. I forget who it was, but someone did a like spot on Mark Jackson impression, and I was dying. And I forget who did it, like on that podcast. I it might have actually been him, and I, I forget who. Yeah, it was, it was him. It was it was him. It was. Him. And I, I forget who they were talking about, but it was so funny. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I think they just, weren't they talking about a coach? They were talking about a coach. Like he's a better. He's a he's a good ball player, but he's an even better man. He's yeah, he's, a, he's, he's an even better family man, like something <laughs> like that. You got it, you got it down too. That's not a good. Um, let's see, yeah, like, that... but there's like other ones, like actually, the like bringing Batum back for the Clippers for the money they did. That's not like a terrible idea. Batum, like, yeah, or Batum. I don't know. Why I said Batum. <laughs> I Pronounce should know it. that by now. I don't know why yeah. I said that. Maybe I was thinking something else. Um, oh, soccer player. That's why, uh, like Patty Mills, two years, 14. Like that's a solid deal. You know, it's like, there's yeah, ones this out is, there this... that, that make sense, but there's other ones that don't. But I, I actually think I'm more impressed by the idea that there, I think there was more that made like, like mid-level guys getting money that I think made sense more. So then there hasn't, there have been dumb ones. But yeah. it hasn't been like, you know, last year when the Knicks basically like just used all their cat space because they had a feel good year kind of shit. And exactly. Or even if you go a few years back when the Lakers were given out Timothy Mozgov, 64 oh my mil. God, yeah. And, and well, Luol Deng, know, 2016 is the prime example of that, you know, just everyone spending sugar daddy money on dumb people. Yeah. Like the Supermax guys are going to steal the headlines and you're going to get the KD and Kyrie guys. But the the bargain bin slash decent enough that you're not getting into like double digits or like 15 million dollar ceiling guys that's where you're really going to thrive and that's what really separates the contenders from you know the tankers pretty much um 
All right. So that does it all for this episode. Uh, oh, do you want to do the, the Kobe teammate thing? Circle back to that. No, we'll, we'll talk about that another. Just so, because you brought it up and I was saying now, now the debate is that, uh, like, it's like, where Steph Curry, Pantheon-wise? Oh, 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 People are saying, like, top 10, and it's just like, you know, is it him or Kobe at nine? And a lot of people are saying nine and, like, over Kobe or maybe eight, and then Kobe's nine. I, I forget. And I've heard like, multiple. No blah, blah, blah. You know, this, yeah. this, and that. And it's just like, you know, but there were some, like, really great points. Like, and it's not that against Kobe, and I think, like, a lot of people are just afraid to, like, say anything bad and i get it because it's weird the, it's, it's right weird. it's weird to like say it and i think it's also because his post career he like redeemed himself so much from the image that people had of him whereas like he came off as like he was so humanizing and everyone like so likable and people just wanted to have him around and have him on their shows and he was he was going to be this guy who was going to be this almost like have his own like show where he interviewed people like almost like a like David Letterman type. It seemed like well, like we're athletes and he was just kind of and it was like he's his father figure who loves his daughter. And then, of course, unfortunately, like and then fucking the worst thing that can fucking possibly happen happens. And we talked about this, I think, the first time I ever came in the pod. And it's just like coming from where we come from and like me, myself, like I've, I've said before, like you know, like having known people that grew up with him and went to high school with him. Like, you know, my, my ex's like sister literally was like two years under him and like knew him and like hung out yeah. with him and shit like that. And, and it's like, you know, like not that they were best friends, but it's just like, I've met people that used to like literally like party with them when they were 18 years old. And it's just like, so it was always like coming from Philly it always like hit home, just like all the Lakers fans and shit like that. And you know, for all these like NBA fans, because he'd kind of gone from the Kobe in 2004 that was coming off this like whole sexual assault case and everything like that. And he's just this guy who wanted Shaq on because he wanted his own team. And he was selfish and this is that. And then he, you know, it took Paul Gasol coming here to save him to get him two more rings and Lamar and all these things. And then he just kind of flipped the script. And, and, and that's why I think everyone was just like, and it's not like we're talking bad on him. As yeah, I'm going that's, on a rant now, it's not we're talking. It's just like, hey man, when you look at it, yeah, yeah, Kobe was the more complete player, but you know, Steph, I think overall, I, I, I might, I, I would give him the nod if you're going to like include everything in there. If you're just going basically purely off like offense and defense, it's probably Kobe. But when you say teammate and face of the franchise and everything else, it, it's probably Steph. Not to mention he's got. He won one more MVP than Kobe. You know, he, you know, the, the all NBAs will probably be similar by the end of it. Mm-hmm. You know, he'll never have an all defense Steph will, but he's not what people think. He's not just, just like wet tally throwing the floor. He, he's better than people think. And he's one championship away from tying Kobe. And so it's, it's a good debate. I just don't agree with the other thing where people are like, well, what about magic? Like, no, like, but that is, People need to start realizing how fucking great Magic Johnson and Larry Bird were because that's the other thing where, like, I'm seeing these memes where it's like, oh, and it's like six players and they just throw Larry Bird in there and they have the one white guy. And it's like, y'all motherfuckers don't understand how good Larry Bird was. Like, it wasn't like he was, like, playing, like, George Mikan playing against no, like, athletic black guys in the 1950s. Like, he was torching the NBA in the 80s when it was, like, turning into what it is today. Like, he beat uh, Magic, what, two times in the finals? Three times? Two times. Because one of those titles, one of those they titles. They beat the Rockets. They beat yeah, the Rockets. it wasn't right. the Lakers. Yeah, um, so two times. Yeah, no, like, with the top 10 stuff, I kind of, I said, I think a couple podcast episodes ago, that Steph is definitely in the top 10. I just, I have to put Kobe above him. Number one, championships. Number two, two-way ability. And... Steph will play his entire career with the Warriors. I think that's safe to say. And so, okay, there are two guys that play with one team their entire careers. I really put a lot of stock into that because we're seeing a lot of players, i.e. KD, that are moving all over the place. It's so undervalued because of the idea, like like Dirk, too. 
And it, Derek, it's yeah. unfailing the idea that you go with the ebbs and flows of the franchise. Like, like Kobe, but, but I think that's where you can give Steph the, the over, like, like give him another advantage point is that like when the Lakers were going down, Kobe demanded a trade multiple times. And I think that's another thing people hold against them, yeah. but it's like, you still, you know, he eventually stuck it out. Like you said, and I agree with you, you stick with a for one franchise, your whole career. It is a big thing because it's hard when you're a multi-million dollar athlete to just like be tempted by all the people around you telling you like trying to spit shit in your ear and be like, well, they're not doing what's right for you kind of shit. And it makes the, either the first or the next championship more rewarding. That's what made mm-hmm. the, the Milwaukee championship so great was that Giannis became, went, went from this kid who was born in Greece, immigrated, was rail thin, and he developed into one of the best players on the talent. Survived it's, homelessness, it's, like everything. All that, all that stuff. And even if, you know, obviously like the obvious example is probably Jordan seven years took him to win multiple times. He's getting eliminated. Then the shit kicked out of him by the Pistons. Went and, through three dynasties, three dynasties, not and, dynasties, but three teams. It, it was the, it was, it was the three teams of that decade with the Celtics and the Lakers and the Pistons. And what do we remember most is probably that picture of him holding the trophy and he's crying over it. Right. And Cause the, it meant of, that much to him. Exactly. And the last dance, you see, you hear, you hear him crying and saying it took seven years. It took seven years. That to me is like, it's big. And Kobe never really opened up until after he retired or towards the tail end of his career. And especially towards the tail end of his life, unfortunately, and he got to show that side of him. I think that side right. of him was always around in the locker room. It's just, you never really heard about it. Because either A, that wasn't the good headline that would get the most buys or the most clicks. Most or, clicks. Or B, he's, I've heard, I think it was Tracy McGrady maybe, or maybe Robert Ori. One of his teammates said like, hey man, like you should act more like this with the media. Like people would, you know, love to come here more. And he said, nah, man, I can't, I can't act like that. Like I can't give other teams a competitive advantage by saying, by thinking like, oh, I'm softer than the image I project pretty much was what he, what he said. Right. Um, and I think I respect Kobe for it. I will always love Kobe. I, he will personally always be in my top five uh, all time, I think, because I'm, as much as I didn't get to see his prime, his mindset and his approach to basketball and life is something that I will always how I will always approach basketball and life. And his impact goes far beyond basketball and far beyond this country all over the world. And it's like Steph is massive in the United States, but like there's one Kobe and sure there's one Steph right now, but right. I, the global fame, I think kind of gets underestimated, but. Um, oh no. He, he expanded the sport. Great. Yeah. So, all right. Good podcast. I think we did a really good job. So uh, that does it all for Timmy Gorman. I'm Matt McLaughlin. Be sure to like comment and subscribe, please to help us out. Uh, And we will catch you in the next episode.